four brothers ride into battle. Man, we're nerds. Gluten-free gladiator Andrew. Todd the Brain Willard. What you doing? Dave the Family Man Shook. Crash and Burn. Preston, Paul Sign, Apollo, piloting the Light Mech Commando. Atomic Power. Feel like we've grown as a podcast? It's a science experiment. So bad, it's good. I thought you were ranting and I zoned out. My bad. The most professional podcast on the internet. Keep doing whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Greetings, discerning listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Discerning Geeks Portal. The ghastly apparition that will haunt your refrigerator, turn you and your neighbor into giant devil dogs, and leave a slimy residue on your podcast listening device. There is no discerning geeks portal, only Zool. (laughs) I am one of your co-hosts, Todd. I can't remember the last time I ate a Twinkie or a marshmallow. And who are you going to call for a review like this? It's my gatekeeper, key master, and environmental protection agency inspector, Dave, Andrew, and Preston. Guys, how's it going? Good. That's awesome. I'm I'm the one most likely to be voted by his exes a game show host, so I feel like I'm right at home. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. One of the formative movies of my childhood, the beautiful, the wonderful, the only Ghostbusters. Yes. And this was a part of my childhood too. It's just my childhood happened a little later. I mean, oh yeah, all well, we're all well aware. Because I'm I'm young, and you guys are old, and you're also doing steroids. I mean, you'll you'll likely die before us. Awkward. Take that into <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was so <laughs> <personal>. wow. <laughs> <laughs> A little cold, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I so I'm trying to do the math real fast, but this came out what? Two decades, maybe two and a half decades before you were born? Yeah, but I've been watching it my whole life with my dad. This was like one of those movies that I had on VHS and I just ran into the ground. I think the the tape like broke something. Then I I bought it digital. I bought a DVD. I will always own Ghostbusters. It's on my NAS. I remember watching this as like a little kid, like a little, little kid, like for like over the course of a, like a few weeks, me and my parents like just like ran through some of their old movies, old to me. And it was just like they did Back to the Future 1 and Ghostbusters and Back to the Future 2 and 3 and Ghostbusters 2. And I just remember as a kid, they binged that like like we would have movie nights and that's what we would watch. And I remember watching this movie for the first time and how cool it was. And it was, it was awesome. Todd, in case they haven't figured it out, tell them what we're going to be reviewing tonight. We are going to review the first Ghostbusters movie. Three paranormal scientists rejected and evicted from their university use some inheritance money to start a business as paranormal exterminators. Along with a recent new hire, the four men corral and trap ghosts all across New York City and eventually face off against an ancient spirit, two devil dogs, and a giant marshmallow man. In a situation like that, the ones whom you're going to call are the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is starring Bill Murray as Peter Vinkman, Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance, Harold Ramis as Egon Spengler, Ernie Hudson as Winston Zedmore, the late arrival to the team, Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett, the Ghostbusters' first client, Rick Moranis as Louis Tully, Dana's annoying neighbor, and Annie Potts as Janine Melnitz, the Ghostbusters' receptions. And just to go through that cast list a little bit, 
Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Rick Moranis were each involved in either Saturday Night Live, Second City TV, or both, and Harold Ramis was also a writer and director. Ernie Hudson can now be seen as the program director with the nickname Magic in the Quantum Leap revival. I got my picture taken with Ernie Hudson at DragonCon in 2013. He was wearing a Ghostbusters uniform for the photos, and when I commented on it, he said, man, when you do DragonCon, you got to do it right. <laughs> uh, Sigourney Weaver is, of course, famous for being in the Alien and Avatar franchises. We've reviewed two of her movies on this podcast, Galaxy Quest in episode 24 and Alien in episode 48. And I got to see her in a panel she did at London Film and Comic Con in 2015. And lastly, Annie Potts is most well known for 163 episodes of the CBS sitcom Designing Women, 88 episodes of the Lifetime drama Any Day Now, and the role of Bo Peep in Toy Story 1, 2, and 4. Ghostbusters was released on June 8, 1984. I don't often comment on runtime, but I was kind of surprised that this movie is one hour and 45 minutes long, which is kind of surprising because, you know, nowadays we're used to blockbusters being two hours or more. Ghostbusters has a rating of PG. It's written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. It was directed by Ivan Reitman. He also directed Ghostbusters 2 and a movie I like, My Super Ex-Girlfriend. His son Jason directed Ghostbusters Afterlife. And the Ghostbusters movie spawned a daytime animated series called The Real Ghostbusters that lasted for seven seasons from 1986 to 1991. A writer and or story editor of 24 of those episodes was J. Michael Straczynski, creator of Babylon 5. <laughs> and, and yes, in the first six minutes, I have worked in uh, references to Dragon Con, London, and Babylon 5. It's a and good episode for Todd. <laughs> this, this, is, this is like pig Todd right here. <laughs> and where can you find Ghostbusters? It's currently on Peacock and Fubo TV. Oh, okay. Okay. Good to know. It's a good movie. So let's start off with, and I know there's going to be a lot, but let's start off with your positives. Dave, I actually want to hear from you. Here's the cool thing about this movie that I, I, I found just refreshing all the way, and I still find refreshing. It's a comedy, but at its heart, it's still telling a scary story. And there are moments in it where this is a scary movie, not necessarily in the sense that you're like running out scared or, or you have the jump scares that, you know, proliferate all, pro, pro, you know, that big word that I'm trying to say that are in a whole bunch of the new <laughs> the movies that we see now that are horror. but it was telling a scary story. And while the, the comedy is there and breaks the tension it was such a nice, refreshing blend of the two that I thought was cool. Um, you know, I was watching this and, and Evangeline, my oldest, uh, was, was in the room with me. And, and I, I kind of was like, hey, you know, this, this could get a little scary. You know, just, just, just be okay. And, you know, I want to warn you. And she was watching it and... Yeah, you know, she was like, yeah, that was really wasn't that scary. I was like, I know, but you could see where it could be scary. And she goes, yeah, I mean, she goes, it's a ghost or it's a skeleton. You know, it's it's this, but, you know, it's not really scary. I was like, okay, cool. So it didn't even phase her. 
at like 10. So I think that's great. Uh, and that's one of the things that I enjoyed about it is it's a, it's a good movie that it has these kind of scary moments in it. And it's all about ghosts and fighting ghosts, but they, they put the humor there to break the tension so well that it's just a classic. And, and so many of the little lines are, are just iconic and they didn't beat you over the head with the humor. It was just the subtle things that you see in this movie that stick out, you know, towards the end, they're fighting the, the stay puff marshmallow man and, and they shoot it with their, their plasma beams, uh, photon, you know, and, and melt it and explodes. And pretty much everyone is covered head to toe in this marshmallow except for one <laughs> and it just yeah. stands out and, yeah. it, and and they don't say anything. They don't have to say anything. They don't call it out, but just that scene and you're sitting there watching it and you're going, that's kind of funny. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's to me the, it's the subtlety that, that, that really makes this shine. So, so fun fact about that. The, the, the ending was shot first and Bill Murray didn't want to be covered in anything at all. So he purposely was like offset when they were setting up the, the goo, like, like everyone was getting gooed or, you know, covered in ash or whatever. So he was offset and he shows up like three minutes before call time. And they're just like, Hey, we can't, we can't cover you and go. He's like, fine. Just give me a little bit of it. And he just slaps it on the top of his head and goes to his mark. And so the crew got upset with him about that. And so when they filmed the slime scene, like Ramus and Aykroyd, like corner him, keep him on set, keep an eye on him. Don't let him leave. Don't let him go to lunch. Don't do anything until the slime scene can be shot. Hmm, interesting. That's why Harold Ramis works so well with Bill Murray, because he understands all of Bill Murray's little tricks to get out of things he doesn't want to do. That, 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 yeah, that's a cool story. Yeah. And I, I did notice the thing at the end about him not being covered. I just assumed that, yeah, it had something to do with the character's personality of, of being the type of person that would very quickly take cover. <laughs> yeah. It's little stuff like that that makes this movie so special. Even though this could have easily, easily become like, a trashy cult classic that David Teague would have been ranting about, about how it's actually this amazing movie and it's so good. You just have to give it a chance. This could have easily become a killer clowns. If it wasn't, if it was just a little different in some alternate reality, killer clowns could have been good. And this would have been killer clowns. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's fair. I think there's, a, a subtlety that they were able to toe that line. They were able to make it to where it had that comedic element. It wasn't a big budget movie, but it wasn't, you know, it doesn't come across as just a low budget slapstick, throw it out there, pie by night movie. It became a, the classic that it is, um, spanning generations now um, to the point that they wanted to remake it, but we won't talk even about that. Um, mm. <laughs> Cause then it gets dark and ugly and, and 
and we don't want to go there because we want to celebrate something good, which is this movie, The Ghostbusters. Oh, no. We're, we're not even going to discuss that whole thing. We're here to discuss what worked. And what, what Dave T. you say was, Ghostbusters is a movie about starting a business. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, okay. Ghostbusters is about the trials and tribulations of the small businessman in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. What, what is beautiful about Ghostbusters is just the small character moments. Never forget, Bill Murray's character has the biggest arc of the, the, the main cast. He starts out as a man that doesn't believe in any of this and is just using it to you know, scam on hot blonde college girls and frustrate their maybe boyfriend. We don't, we, we're never clear <laughs> on that. And by the end of the movie, not only does he believe he stops the apocalypse and saves a girl that he really cares about. That is character art, character growth and depth. And the funny thing is, the experiment to hit on hot college girls is exactly something that David Teague would have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is that is totally T- that is totally David. That's totally something he would have done, and he would have been talking about it on this podcast. <laughs> he figured it out too. That's the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, but. Go ahead, Todd. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that is an interesting perspective to put aside all of the ghost aspect and just say, this is about guys starting a business. I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, and I will piggyback on that. And this is kind of something that I don't know that too many people delve into and, and really understand, but this whole uh, parapsychologist and studies of of the afterlife was actually a real thing this is not a made-up subject that's going on in this university at this time back in the early 80s duke university here in north carolina and everybody knows duke from their basketball team but i mean highly prestigious ivy league school had a huge parapsychologist department one of the leading in the nation um, still going through the, this time period. So this is an actual real study and, and something that people were considering. Um, and it kind of came and built through, um, you know, some earlier times through, through the sixties with some, some, some drug experimentation and things like that, that uh, people, you know, were really looking into, you know, is there a, an afterlife? If so, how do you get in touch with the afterlife? How do you, you know, is ESP a real thing? Can you control a missile with your mind? These were real experiments. These were real things that they were studying in universities at that time. And so I think it's fascinating that they kind of took that. And yes, it wasn't necessarily the glamorous calling and and it wasn't um something that got a lot of respect in some levels of academia but it was a real thing 
and there are there are studies and there are books and and I'd encourage people to kind of go back and look and and look into some of these things because it's it's interesting just to see the history of how some of that developed. Hey, is there a, a real magic? Is there a real soul? If so, how do you measure it? I'm gonna pull a Todd here, and you know this is part of what I really enjoyed in the TV show Fringe. You know, I, he always gets mentioned Babylon Five. I'm gonna start trying to make a Fringe reference every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta figure know, out how to work in wrestling and every. There you go. Um, you know, in Fringe was you know the Walter's science back in the day was was studying a lot of these strange phenomenon things and and how do you type into that psychic energy and how do you travel between dimensions all that fun stuff so um it's interesting to see that they they pick something like that and and gave it a little bit of credence in this movie but in in a fun way and in in a very comedic way and you kind of see them losing their job at the very beginning like you pointed out, Dave, Dave's right. This is all about kind of starting a business and, and pulling yourself up from the bootstraps. They they just lost their job in, in a in a very ugly way. And I was rewatching it, and I thought it was really great. Um, he makes the comment. He goes, "You don't know what it's like out there. The, the university gives us money and and takes care of us and." And I've been out there and had to get a real job, and it's not really pleasant. <laughs> and so they had to actually get a real job, and they decide to to start this business to be able to make ends meet. I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Yeah, that's the very script, fair. The script is tight. Mm-hmm. The uh, the small tributes to uh, John Belushi, who or who was supposed to be in this movie in the uh, Bill Murray role. Uh, John Belushi is forever memorialized as Slimer mm-hmm. in this movie. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, it, every, everything in here works. Everything is great. And Rick Moranis plays the best tax accountant in film. <laughs> I say this as a fellow tax accountant. Salute. Good, sir. Yeah, I, I, and what about those special effects, man? Come on now. That was a high quality stuff. No, everything was practical. Everything was practical. Um, Especially that final scene with that lady. That was very practical. I mean, I mean you know, Sigourney Weaver as as a uh, damsel, as a femme fatale. I believe that was the, the first time in film since Alien she was really shown as a uh, sexual character like you know and the, the Babylon robes and everything mm-hmm. work on her it's great also fun another fun piece of trivia because I know all the trivia about this movie her boyfriend was on set one day when they were shooting the scene um, <laughs> where she gets mauled by the chair and he <laughs> is actually some of the hands that grab her. Bonus points for any of the listeners if they can figure out which hand is belongs to Sigourney Weaver's boyfriend. I bet I could guess. Yeah, I, I, don't, oh, yeah. I don't know if I paid that much attention to where the hands are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like if you watch that scene with this knowledge now, you'll be like, oh, huh, I okay. see. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've got the movie on now. Like, go watch it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got the movie on now, but it's near the beginning. I'm tempted to fast forward to that point if I can find it. <laughs> I mean, okay, so we we had a great soundtrack, right? I mean, the Ghostbusters theme has now become iconic, including even just like the the siren of the the car. You know, it is a part of the song. It's something that is on people's playlists for Halloween. You have to have that. And you hear the sirens in the background going. Now imagine if that was the killer clowns theme song. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fun. I I have more fun facts. More fun facts from Preston. Yeah. More fun facts. So fun fact. Number one, uh, uh, the writer of the Ghostbusters theme was sued by Huey Lewis in the news because Huey Lewis in the news said that it sounded too much like their song. I want a new drug. Oh, wow. (laughs) And they, they go on to say that they were contacted by Columbia pictures to try and get, I want a new drug for Ghostbusters soundtrack. But you know, no one knew what Ghostbusters was going to be. So they said no. And they went with uh, back to the future so, so there was that. Fun fact number two: uh, a a friend of mine, or, or a friend of I believe most of us on the podcast, Brandon, his friend, one of his friends, built a complete replica of the Ecto One, and they spent so many hours trying to figure out what to do for the horn because they couldn't they couldn't get the siren right. Turns out that siren was made like the audio engineer made it for the movie Hmm. and put it, you know, it's, it's in the soundtrack and everything. So they had to download it into like a a little flash drive and set up a a tiny computer to play the sound when you push this button. And uh, they, they they built the Ecto one and (laughs) they had it and they, they finished the siren and everything. I think they went and showed it to David and then they came and showed it to me and they're like, Hey, you want to go to Walmart? And we go to Walmart on the website, people of Walmart for the Kernersville Walmart. There's a picture of the Ecto one in the parking space saying, even the ghostbusters have to go to Walmart. Oh, um, nice. And so that that's like the only one of the only pictures for the Kernersville Walmart on people of Walmart. <laughs> Hmm, interesting. Todd said he tried to find the photo at the People of Walmart website. Maybe the site has gone through changes or has a crappy search engine. He couldn't find the photo of the local Acto one. Just a lot of disturbing photos of possibly mentally disturbed people shopping at Walmart while wearing terrible clothing, absurd clothing, not enough clothing, underwear on the outside of their clothing, or awkwardly flesh-colored leggings. Todd said it's images that he can't unsee, and that it might give him more nightmares than watching the Fear Street trilogy of horror movies on Netflix for a future review on this podcast. I've been going to the Kernersville Walmart my whole life. You are the people of Walmart. Yeah, yeah. That's it, sing. This movie is so good, guys. Like, everything from the beginning to the middle to the end is good. It's not one of those movies where half of it will bore me. Like, everything is good. It's always funny. Even in the serious scenes, you can feel the tension while still being able to break a laugh. And it's like, it's it's so good. And the 
the ending and the final fight, like all of that, it's just so good. And crossing the streams is like one of the most iconic quotes. Yeah. To this day. And like, well, and it's interesting because, and I'm not sure I wasn't there. I'm kind of going on hearsay here, but one of the things that I had heard was that kind of having Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, while there was a script, there was a whole lot of ad-libbing. Like a good portion of the movie was actually ad-libbed like as they were recording. (laughs) And and so I think the reason I point that out is I think it was just that kismet, that once-in-a-lifetime comic genius putting these people together and letting them make a movie that everything hit right and and made it so much fun to watch um, and so much fun to almost feel like you're being a part of. You had mentioned that like Slimer was a um, kind of the ghost rep- representation of John Belushi. One of the trivia that I read before we kind of got on and, and uh, looking at this as we were planning was that uh, I think it's the makers of the like Casper the comic book actually tried to sue them because of the image of the Slimer. They said it looked some you know like some of the characters that they would have as a ghost. There, there's an old Red Skeleton uh, show called The Ghostbusters that would run on Saturday mornings in the '60s. Oh wow, yeah, and that's who was suing them. Oh, this uh, was a. Oh, so maybe it was different, but they, the judge actually just said, you know, there's only so many ways you could draw a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they kind of all look the same. Yeah. So it was kind of thrown out. And I think that's hilarious that it's like, yeah, that makes sense. If you're going to do a ghost, I mean, that's kind of what we think of. But yeah. Uh, because Ackroyd was a fan of the, the Red Skeleton uh, TV show, and he, j- he just took the name. Uh, from him, but it, it, it was one of those like gorilla suit shows. Uh-huh. It was Red Skeleton and another guy, and then a guy in a gorilla suit. And they would go into haunted houses and fight uh, ghosts or monsters or whatever. And then, you know, by by the end of the episode, they would have the ghost in a cage. Um, oh, wow. They sued Ghostbusters for uh, copyright infringement. They changed the name. Columbia Pictures, I believe, have the rights to Ghost Breakers, which is an old Bob Hope picture. So they changed it to that for a little bit during working titles. And then at the 11th hour, they finally settled everything and got the name Ghostbusters for the movie. Oh, wow. And the the thing that you're talking about with the gorilla suit, is that what the Ghostbusters cartoon, not the real Ghostbusters, but the Ghostbusters cartoon is based on? Because I vaguely remember it being a cartoon that has something to do yeah, with the, the, the They sold... They sold that idea to a, a different cartoon company to make that show to come to come out before Ghostbusters could make their cartoon, which is why the Ghostbusters cartoon is called the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, hmm. I have a feeling that for me, this review is going to be kind of similar to the Princess Bride review. Because, you know, here lately, we've had a little bit of a bad patch for movies for me, and I know I've been the grump in several episodes. Uh, But this might be similar to The Princess Bride Review in that I can't emphasize this enough. I like this movie. It is good. I'm going to give it a good score. But 
most of the things that I like about this movie are very broad, general things like the acting in general is good. The story in general is good, but I've only got like four bullet points of good stuff, but I've got a page of nitpicks. And because of that, I think I don't like this as much as the rest of the world does, but not so much that it ruins it. Again, it's a good movie. I like it. Uh, but I think I'm going to be the grump anyway, despite all that. So uh, just one of the good stuff things I'll, I'll cover since it's already been talked about a little bit. The whole thing about Ecto-1, to me, that's genius because in the 80s, a lot of things that were geared toward us geeks had some kind of iconic vehicle in it. So you got the General Lee in, uh, in Deuce of Hazard, uh, the A-Team van, the Knight Rider Kit 2000. Uh, so this was this movie's Batmobile in a way. And it was genius to make it a hearse because, you know, it could have been any random van truck car whatever but to make it a hearse a, 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 a type of car that is specially made to carry dead people and they're fighting ghosts they're supposedly the the spirits of dead people that was just perfect so uh, yeah i think that was a genius choice and then i've got a few other good stuff and then, like i said a, a page of nitpicks so uh but i'll give somebody else a turn Curmudgeon Todd strikes again, trying to ruin the best movies in the world, but that's okay. Yeah, how are you going to be iffy about Princess Bride and Ghostbusters? Well, and Back to the Future too. Like, well, you'll, you'll Dune. I mean, well, yeah. Oh, that was easy. But you, you'll, you'll you'll see when we get to the bad stuff. But we're right. we're, we're still on good stuff. I, I've got a few more things myself. But if somebody else wants to turn, so so here's here's what's great about about Ghostbusters. There's not a moment in the script that's wasted. So one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where it's just Ray and Winston in the car together and they're just riding down the road. It's towards the end of the movie. So they've been Ghostbusters for a while and like the overarching theme of the apocalypse is coming and starting to come together. And it's Ray and, Win it's Ray and uh, Winston and they're talking about religion. Winston starts off with, I love Jesus' style, man. Peace and love, kindness, all that was great. And did, did you ever read the Bible, Ray? And Ray says, yeah, I, I remember reading Revelations, the book of Revelation. I looked up and the sun was as black as sackcloth. And the sky was red. And the dead were rising from the grave. He said, isn't that good that we're not running into that situation? And Winston looks at him and says, Ray, has it ever occurred to you that the reason that we're doing so well is because the dead have started to rise from the grave? And Ray just kind of, you know, looks off, kind of shocked and a little bit terrified and reaches down for the radio and says, how about some music? <laughs> it's great. Well, yeah, yeah like, I, I do like that conversation. Yeah. And I don't know. And I have watched this movie a hundred times. And I think it was rewatching it this time that I picked up on a small little detail that I was kind of like, that makes so much more sense. And I don't know why it had ever like not bothered me or I'd never picked it up before, you know, at the very beginning of the movie, we start off in the library and this librarian has an encounter with the ghost. And that's what leads them into this exploration. They go to the library and, you know, they run into some supernatural stuff and then they see the, the ghost, this full, 
you know, upper torso vaporization. I forget what they call it. But anyways, manifestation, you know, they're like, okay, now what do we do? And then they just charge it. And then it like turns into this evil looking thing and flies at them and scares them. And they run all the way out of the building. And then they're walking back to the university and they're having this conversation and Vinkman, Vinkman comes up behind him and says, you know, hey, with these readings, I think I can actually make something to contain them. And it was like almost like a throwaway line in the background of a whole nother conversation going on that was like, oh, now it makes sense. That's how they make the proton packs and the containment grid. And they know that, you know, how to do all of this. And it wasn't just a fly out of your pants kind of, oh, you know, they just make stuff up. It actually had a plot point in there. And I, and I had totally missed it until this last watching. Um, hadn't really bothered me that I didn't pick up on that line. But when I picked up on it, I was going, wow, okay. Now it makes more sense. So I think that's, again, the subtleties in this movie are there to where I almost feel like I pick up on something a little bit new every time I watch it. And it's just a, a little line or a face that somebody makes when a, a certain comment is made or an offhanded comment is made, you know, in the background. And it's like, oh, so cool. You know, it, it just adds another level to the to the complexities of the movie and the humor that they're also portraying most of the time as well. So now I imagine you take that statement and put it towards killer clowns. <laughs> you see, hmm. the, the, the movie that you're wanting out of Killer Clowns was made and called The Blob. It was the Blob <laughs> remake. And uh, I feel, uh, I don't know if we've reviewed that movie or not. No, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, uh, that, I, don't, I don't know if Todd could handle it, but maybe mm. we'll add that to the list coming up. <laughs> okay. All right. What else for positives? All right. Well, I've, I've got a few left. And surprisingly, the few positives that I have left center around Vinkman in some way, shape or form, which is kind of ironic because some of my nitpicks are about Vinkman, too. So I'm impressed that Dana Barrett sees through Vinkman because he I mean, there's a little bit of spoiler for my bad stuff, but he comes off like a little bit of a jerk at times. And sometimes some of his wittiness, witty nature does not quite land. Uh, Sometimes he's just a little bit too cocky, a little bit too jokey. And it's like he never takes anything seriously. And so I'm impressed that she sees through him. But despite that, some of Vinkman's one liners during the whole Dana Zool possession scene, I have to admit, are, are really well done. And I don't know if those are some of the lines that are scripted or ad lib like you were talking about earlier, Dave, but either way, they're pretty good. And then Vinkman has a particularly good moment when they're in the mayor's office and he's trying to convince the mayor of something. And he appeals to the mayor's political aspirations by specifically mentioning saving the lives of millions of registered voters. And he doesn't just say voters. He actually emphasizes the registered part. Uh, So I thought that was really creative of him. And it's one of those times where his wit and sarcasm actually had a practical purpose, too. So we haven't we haven't yet discussed the unsung heroes of the movie who are Egon Spangler, 
Janine and Walter Peck. <laughs> hmm, okay. Uh, Janine is just perfect as a New York secretary. You know, Ghostbusters, what do you want? It's great, genius, beautiful, print it. Like, I, you know, Bateman comes in from doing something and he's like, have any calls? No. Any messages? No. Uh, well, you know, good job, isn't it, Janine? <laughs> when the check clears, type something for me, will you, Janine? We're paying for this. <laughs> Genius stuff, and and Egon's great. You know, what do you what do you do in your spare time? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Genius, genius stuff. And of course, our our villain Walter Peck. You know, who just wants to know how the people with the unlicensed nuclear accelerators on their back operate and wants to, you know, make sure the city isn't going to blow up, is striking the business with burdensome regulation, which is not really that burdensome, but, you know, he's, he's a dick about it. And so we end up doing what we do. Yeah, I've got something about him in my nitpicks. And you were talking about Janine. Yeah, she is a good character. And talking about the cartoon a little bit. I, I vaguely remember that her character did change in the cartoon. Like I think she got longer hair and she lost a little bit of her accent and stuff like that. And apparently some producers or executives somewhere wanted to soften the character for some weird reason. And J. Michael Straczynski and one other writer that was on staff, they actually opposed it. And apparently they didn't get their way. And I don't know the full story uh, because I was just reading this on Wikipedia, but I think at some point maybe they did get, their way a little bit more. I don't know if they got promoted or, or if they just got more creative control, but at some point they were able to kind of bring Janine back to the way she was because I think J. Michael Straczynski even wrote an episode that I don't remember the exact title, but I think it was something like Janine, you've changed. And I think they actually like the guys look at pictures and, and, and stuff from uh, Janine in the past and like, wait a minute, she's actually changed. And I guess the change was so gradual. They, uh, the characters didn't notice and they realize that something's wrong. And I don't know the rest of the plot of that episode. I don't know if they try to explain how her character got retconned and then converted back. But yeah, it was something that actually affected the cartoon. In the first movie, yeah, she's actually pretty good. And she gets maybe a little bit more to do in the second movie. And she's good in that one, too. In the nature of time, we're going to have to switch some gears. Yeah, we can talk about good stuff all day. But we're going to have to go to the negatives. And that's when Todd gets to tell us why the hell... This is just okay for him. Yeah, so I do have nitpicks, and so I can kind of take turns with others. I've got him in three categories. Characters, logic slash tech, and then the story. So first with characters, I've already mentioned a little bit about Vinkman. I'm curious, why is he even involved with the others? Because only Ray and Egon seem to care or be knowledgeable about paranormal stuff. Vinkman just wants to joke about everything. It was was really hard to take his character seriously, and not super seriously because I know this is a comedy, but it's like he is so far on the other side. It's like, how does he even stay in academia how i mean it must be the other two that are carrying him because i don't see how he can make it on his own vinkman is just made to be kind of unlikable from the beginning the whole joke with uh him and uh that jennifer girl at the beginning with the the cards and the other guy uh where he was trying to see if they could uh psychically read what was on the cards and he kept electroshocking the other guy even when he's right i know that's supposed to be funny but to me that scene went on a little too long it almost reminded me of a uh Saturday Night Live sketch where it's kind of like you get the joke 
about a half a minute in, but then the sketch goes on for four or five minutes. Uh, I was just like, okay, we, we get it. He's, he's going to shock the guy and let the girl pass with everything, even if she's wrong. And then lastly, we're 41 minutes into the movie before we even get to Winston Zedmore. And he's given no backstory or interesting personality traits. He just makes a comment about how he wants a paycheck and he's instantly hired. And we don't even see him do any actual ghost busting until the very end. I just—he's a cool character. I just wish he had come sooner, and if he had de- uh, and that he had been developed a little bit more. I feel—I feel like you, you don't need to give Winston too much of a backstory, right? We don't need him. He—he's he, the everyman. He's—he's the guy that we're putting in there so that the the boys have someone to explain things to. I mean, I get it. It's—it's it's your nitpick. I'm not going to say you're—you're you're wrong to do it, but I—I I, I don't know if I agree that we need. To give Winston a gigantic backstory. No, not a gigantic backstory, but not a gigantic backstory, but they could have dropped a line or two, a dialogue, something. uh, Because I think I read somewhere, maybe on Wikipedia, where an early version of the script had him as like some kind of ex-military person or something like that. I mean, they could have given him something instead of him just showing up. Yeah, I just want a paycheck. Okay, we'll give one to you. And boom, he's in. There could have been a little bit more. I'm not saying I want another five or ten minutes. And I'm not saying I want to right. see him go home and, and uh, have a family reunion or something like that. I'm, I'm just saying, give, give me something. All right. So surprisingly, I have a nitpick. Okay. No. Yay, yep. thank goodness I'm not the only one. My nitpick actually comes in some trivia I learned about this movie. Apparently, when filming one of the scenes, they had to block off some of the traffic near Central Park West in New York. And apparently, it got so backed up, it backed up like all around Times Square and some of the major bridges. And essentially, they say that they, or or one person says that they blocked off about 60% of the traffic in Manhattan, which had to be a nightmare, right? Well, while this was going on, they're taking a break, and one of my absolute favorite authors, who has authored books that we have talked about in some podcasts, um, Isaac Asimov was in the area, and Dan Aykroyd, and uh, let's see here, I think it was, yeah, Dan Aykroyd was uh, like a fan, and basically kind of called over to him. And was like, hey, you know, hey, how's it going? And, and Asimov basically just kind of turned around and like blew him off and said he was disgusted that they had was caused all this traffic jam. And so, you know, they inconvenienced my favorite author in the making of this movie. So I have to say that's a negative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. That's about all I got <laughs> as far as negatives go. So, yeah, a little bit of trivia. Isaac Asimov, brilliant author, wrote all the robot novels, Foundation. They now have the Foundation TV show, which is not horrible. It's not as good as I was really wanting it to be, but yeah. So if if I have to nitpick, when uh, Louis Tully hosts his party for all his clients, and there's the girl in pink who's not having a great time. The girl in pink who's not having a great time is there because she is the wife of one Mr. Casey Kasem. Oh, yeah, that's right. The, the voice of Shaggy and uh, 
the the eternal uh, New Year's countdown, man. <laughs> for forever. Yeah, until Ryan Seacrest took it over and got the easiest job in television. But she's in there because of Casey Kasem, and like every time I see Little Shop of Horrors, I just think to myself, why couldn't it have been her? In that, if for just like a little bit. Now, I don't know. I don't know the order in which it was made. I don't know if Little Shop of Horrors came after Ghostbusters or what. But man, it would have been great to see those two in, in something else. Yeah, I don't remember her name, but I thought she looked a little familiar. Other, in, other than that, in terms of negatives, um, I really don't see it. Like to me, this is, is well put together and a solid emotion picture as you're ever likely to find. Maybe the, 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 the scene where they're just at the banquet hall and after all that, Slimer has just worn himself out and all they're really doing with Slimer is just rotating him around the, the chandelier a couple of times. They don't move the puppet much at that point. Yeah, they, there you go. There's something. <laughs> Slimer doesn't move as much when, when he gets captured. All right, so I guess it's my turn again. Well, I actually know Andrew. Do you have any bad stuff? You go ahead. I'll go. I'll go. Wait. Yeah, I'll go after you. Okay. Yeah, because I've got two more categories. All right. So this next one is. Yeah. So this next one is logic and tech. To me, I think the movie could have used like a music montage, or maybe just again, just one or two extra lines of dialogue to explain how they got the firehouse cleaned up, the car fixed, the equipment made, stuff like that. It's not like I'm expecting another five or ten minutes. It's just we get several scenes of them getting the firehouse and it's crap, and they get the car and it needs a ton of work, and and they don't even have proton packs, and then all of a sudden they get their first call, and the firehouse is cleaned up, the car is it has sirens and equipment on top, and it's all. Uh, repainted and they've got these uh, proton packs which have uh, which are like nuclear powered or something it's like there's no transition there I could have used just a a little something again not five or ten minutes but one or two lines of dialogue like either a music montage which I love music montages or just like one or two lines of dialogue to say how long they've been at it so you can tell how long they've had to to work to get from point A to point B and especially with no money coming in all right, so this next nitpick is probably going to be the, the biggest one because it's most fundamental and, and the ones you guys might groan the most at. What exactly are ghosts in this movie? Are they the spirits of dead people? And if so, why do they look like green blobs, monster dogs, zombies, streaks of energy? It's like when I think of ghosts, I think of spirits and kind of like what we get with the librarian near the beginning. You know, they actually look kind of humanoid. But it seemed like all the other ghosts in the movie are more like monsters or beasts more so than they are ghosts. And I think they do drop a line or two of dialogue to kind of suggest that there are spirit realms or alternate realities, and maybe that's where these other creatures come from. And so maybe in terms of this movie, maybe they're casting a wider net as to the definition of what counts as a ghost. But I could have used just a tiny bit more explanation because to me it just looks like they're fighting interplanar beasts more than they're fighting ghosts, what I think of as a classic ghost. And then lastly, uh, Preston, you brought up uh, that Walter Peck guy from the Environmental Protection Agency. I feel like his involvement, the subplot that surrounds him, is the start 
of a good idea because it makes sense that someone like that would want to regulate whatever it is these guys are doing because they are using high powered things that are nuclear powered and who knows what goes on in the basement. The problem is he goes in there without any actual evidence of anything that's going on. And instead of doing due diligence and bringing a team to like investigate stuff and actually figuring out what's going on, he just brings in one guy and just starts ordering stuff to be turned off. And it's like, really, when you go into a nuclear power plant and start just turning stuff off and flipping switches, that doesn't make sense. So while it's the start of a good idea, I feel like ultimately he and his involvement from the uh, from the protection agency ends up kind of being a forced plot point. And that's it for my second category, nitpicks. <laughs> Very good. I don't really have a nitpick. The only thing I want to say in this, Tom, is that even if you do have nitpicks, I think this is the, one of the most sound movies you can ever pick as like a favorite movie. Even if you dislike this movie, it's again, it's like The Princess Bride. Even if you dislike this movie, you respect the movie. Or like Back to the Future. Like even if you like have a few nitpicks or maybe you don't like it or it's not your favorite. If someone says this is their favorite movie, you immediately know why and you respect it. And very few movies can do that. And this is one of them. And I think that just says something about how good this movie is. And in some alternate universe, it would be Killer Clowns gaining <laughs> as much respect as Ghostbusters does. So the Kyoto brothers had never had, have never had better fans than this podcast. I, I, okay. So I want to kind of go back to Todd's thing for just a second. And I just want to ask a question at this point in the recording, Dave tried to ask a question to challenge some of Todd's nitpicks. One in particular, there are about three or four rounds of Todd, not understanding the question and Dave re asking because Todd is dumb and Dave was being really persistent. Then, there's still more discussion on this one topic. It lasted about 15 to 20 minutes in the original recording. Todd edited this section a little heavier than usual and still only reduced it down to about 11 minutes. But, if the next segment is a bit choppier than usual, now you know why. We know that a movie is an entertainment process. But I've heard a couple of times where we point out as a negative movie goes through certain plot points don't we have to do that because we can see the plot points is that a substantial weakness or is that just the observant eye of the observer does that make sense no i don't understand your question skilled screenwriter watches a tv show they're always going to be able to point out i see that plot point there i see that beat hitting here in the writing of the script so I guess my question is, is it a negative thing that we can see those or do we do, you, do, we, do we hold it in a high regard to say that they should be able to blend that almost where we, we just turn it off and, and don't notice it? Or is it our job as watchers of the entertainment to kind of turn that off automatically and try to, to just enjoy the story? Does that make sense? No, I still don't understand your question. <laughs> <laughs> All movies have a formula. If we see the formula, is that an automatic negative? If you're writing a TV show, uh, especially the old school, right? It had to be written in a certain formula, had to have breaks. You had to have the certain amount of the main conflict uh, happen in a certain segment because that's the structure that it has to fit into to fit into the TV show. Is it a negative when we see that? I see this plot point 
you know, because I can see it, therefore it stands out to me and they should have done a better job of hiding it to where it doesn't stand out towards me. Am I coming across any clear? Can you give an example or something? Uh, give me a moment. We may have to edit out a little dead space here. That's confirmed. Because I'll have to think of one. Because I'm sorry, I, I still don't understand what you're asking. You have a romantic comedy. It doesn't matter what that romantic comedy is. At some point, there's going to be a misunderstanding between the two people who are the love interests. I thought you meant this. Oh, I thought you meant this to where they, it looks like they're going to go their separate ways. They can't reconcile, but there's this built-in conflict. You know that that's going to happen and it's automatic. When it's super visible, do we automatically like mark it down or do we just accept, hey, that's part of what we have to see in this type of movie you know how do you how do you rate that and, and i'm kind of asking this for everybody do you forgive overused plot point it's in every single one of these movies that comes out i think it's part of the movie structure okay and uh, as long as it's not like too blaringly cliche i think it's fine and it can be overlooked that's fine and i think that's just something that you have with any piece of media these days. There's a saying in music that all songs have a skeleton because there's only 12 notes right. possible. So every song has a skeleton. EAB is one of the most common uh, musical skeletons there are, and there are thousands of songs that do it. There's a, a comedic trio that does a, uh, this is every song you've ever heard in your life. Bit, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Where they, um, you know, go through and and go from like "Don't Stop Believing" to uh, you know "Survivor," "Bootylicious," all that. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it it's not about using the formula; it's about what you do with the formula. So I guess yeah, to, I, to bring it back to kind of Ghostbusters, you know, I think Todd was making the point earlier. You know, well, we have this. Um, character who comes in and he just kind of runs rough shot and doesn't go through the proper channels to to shut down the thing. Okay, yeah, but you have to have it. That's what moves the plot along. If he doesn't come in and turn off the grid, then there's no story. So it's hard to say I have to mark this movie down because this person didn't go through the proper channels to get what he needed to do to to turn off the grid. No, I need him to turn off the grid because I want the big climax. I want to move the movie along. And I don't see that as a, as a hiccup. Should we see that as a hiccup? I hadn't really thought about it as a hiccup until it was mentioned. But I, again, I kind of almost go into it with the mindset of, no, that's why I'm here. I'm here to, to see these things happen to cause the drama. Um, and yes, they don't always make sense. No, they're not always done the right way. But that otherwise, you don't get there and you don't have the conflict and you don't have the drama that you need to have the final scene. Does that make sense? Oh, no. If Todd still doesn't get it, I'm going to scream. Uh, sort of. Yeah, I understand. What I understand what you're saying, that that is his purpose of being there. The problem is he goes in with no paperwork, no team. It's basically just one guy saying, turn off the switch. They, they don't have any meetings. They don't talk about it. They don't under, try to even understand the science. They just yeah. come in and shut it down. 
which was a very 80s mindset towards the government and regulation. But he doesn't even know what he's shutting down. Right. That's the whole that's the whole point. So I guess I just take it from a movie perspective, right, as if someone were writing this and then they said, hey, let's have a 15 minute scene in here where we have the government debating whether they should shut them down or not. It's going to end up on the cutting room floor anyways, because nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about the behind the scenes paperwork and, oh, well, did they do that or did they do it the right way? No, what you care about is he turned it off and released all the ghosts and now you have to fight him again and it's horrible. And so it's just a plot device. This argument that we're having seems very similar to arguments that we've had in other things where I have mentioned a nitpick. And I've emphasized that is it a nitpick that it doesn't ruin anything. And then you make it sound like I'm making it sound like that it does ruin something. And then you start saying, well, you don't want to add another 15 minutes when I've already emphasized I don't want to add another 15 minutes. I want to add like one or two more lines of dialogue or maybe another scene or maybe a montage. And you're acting like I want to add another act to the movie to explain something. I don't need that much explanation and i'm not saying the lack of the explanation ruins the movie i'm saying as a tiny nitpick there is a tiny thing missing i think where i'm trying to to minimize this and say it's a tiny little nitpick <laughs> you're trying to make my nitpick bigger than it is i respect that and it is a nitpick i guess for me though it would be i struggle to name a nitpick when i think maybe the correction for the nitpick would then end up being the nitpick in my mind i'm sitting here going okay so they add that then somebody's gonna be like you know what here's how you fix it for todd right yeah peck first shows up and interviews vankman to try and get a look at the the uh, the containment unit right to understand all you have him do is you have him show up with a guy a lab coat you know, maybe you, you put like nuclear safety inspector on the coat. You have Vankman take the safety inspector downstairs and then they come back up and they say, well, what, what do you think? Should we shut it down? And you just have the inspector go shake his head. Then how, how well, how do you set off the ghost bomb? You have Peck break into the Ghostbusters house in the middle of the night and shut off the containment unit because he doesn't know what he's doing. The whole thing blows up. And see, I would argue that that to me is no better. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I guess that's my point is to me, that would not be a better scene than what we had. Peck shows up. Bateman looks makes him look like a jerk and a dick and is like kind of makes fun of him. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, he's a, a government official. He's power hungry. He's going to come in and do what he does. I have worked with these people, had food and nutrition people come in when I worked at the daycare. And if you treat them like that, they're going to come up with any excuse to shut you down. They don't care because it's their power, you know, or health and sanitation or whatever. You know, these people come in, they're they're looking for somebody to, to act like that so they could just shut them down. That's a typical character. It's all that's needed in that scene for me. And so adding the complication kind of takes away just that that simple story element of, hey, let's keep the story moving. Can we keep this review moving? This is the plot device we need to get there. And yes, it's a thin plot device. And I wasn't really trying to make it like a mountain out of a molehill. You succeeded. You're beating a dead horse. And people are beginning to say enough is enough. Let it go. Let it go. Just 
was curious what you guys think. I mean, I, I, I kind of worry that I, I very much just kind of like gloss over a lot of these things and I don't see them. And I don't know if it's a negative on my part that I just, like I said, I could kind of glaze over and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't see that. Yeah. And it's just my nitpicky mind that I do see it. Again, it doesn't ruin the movie. It's that I see these little things as little rough spots, little bumps. I shouldn't be noticing these things. And if, like I said, if there was just like an extra line of dialogue or something to explain, uh, your, your firehouse is drawing too much power and we've been able to tell that it's coming from the basement. Uh, so you need to shut down whatever this is or something like that. And then it maybe has like a piece of paperwork in his hand and he shoves it in his face or something. Okay, that that shows me that he's done something. But instead, it's basically just a guy who just wants to go in flipping switches. I'm not saying I need a, a whole other scene or or a, another subplot of the movie added to justify this guy. I understand why he's there, but it does seem forced because I see those little bumps where something extra there could have smoothed it out. And then if I don't notice it, then I'm not distracted from what's actually going on. And you're saying, yeah, the plot needs to move. But I'm saying if I catch these little things, then the plot is almost moving too fast. And that's why I said this felt forced. It could have still been there, but not felt forced. And then I wouldn't have noticed it. I have to agree to disagree on this one because, you know, he came in, he had a, he had a paper, uh, you know, the court order to shut him down in his hand. He showed it to him. He handed it to him. He, okay. Well, so maybe he did have that. <laughs> he did. Yeah. It was part of the scene. But I guess my question is what exactly was the court order for? What did he have against, he, he knew something was down there, but he didn't know what. So did he feel no, like it was new for power? They wouldn't, they wouldn't get inspected yeah like they, they wouldn't get like a, a safety inspection okay okay so maybe it's something i missed then well maybe not if the court order was to inspect the equipment then he should have actually inspected the equipment he didn't inspect crap he just went in and shut the thing down without knowing what he was shutting down why the hell am i getting involved in this maybe this freaking argument has gone on so long I feel invested against my own better judgment. But yeah. that's a fault in the movie, too. If there's something like yeah. that that you miss, then that, that, that's definitely a fault in um, the script started out massive. Like the script was two, three hundred pages. It was so massive because Aykroyd wrote it himself. It was so massive. He goes into everything. The the fact that, you know, it, it's it's Babylonian gods and Sumerian gods fighting and Sumerian demons, you know, underworld gods and everything. And instead of it just being ghosts, like ghosts, ghosts is just kind of like this, the, the, the catch all term, because it's easy for the general audience to understand. Okay. Ghosts. I get it. I understand. But it's actually like ancient demons from forgotten religions that they're fighting, which is why there are a lot of people that say that this is like science over mythology movie where it's like, Instead of, you know, something supernatural saving humanity, it is just science and our own intelligence saving the day from this ancient forgotten apocalypse that is going to happen from Gozer. Also, fun fact about Walter Peck, uh, the actor that played him in the pivotal marshmallow man melting scene got a massive concussion during the uh, oh, scene where he uh, where they dumped all of the marshmallow fluff onto his head. Apparently, it was much heavier than initially thought, and they dumped twenty pounds 
of marshmallow fluff onto the actor's head and he got a massive concussion. Oh, and see, wow. now this was the part, I guess I would point out, I guess, as a nitpick if I wanted to. Okay. If you've ever roasted marshmallows, the marshmallow starts to melt and you touch that, it will burn you. <laughs> you have just covered people in all of this scalding hot marshmallow goo that would have caused third degree burns over all of their body that it touched. But do we worry about that or do we just say, well, that's kind of cool explosion and, and go on. But yeah, that would be a nitpick is that the marshmallow goo didn't scald people. Oh yeah. No, no, melted sugar is definitely culinary napalm. Yeah. But the stay puffed marshmallow man was supernatural and from another dimension. So maybe he doesn't necessarily follow the normal laws of marshmallow science. Who's to say the gooey stuff he's made of isn't a cooling substance? Maybe the fact that three of the Ghostbusters were covered in the stuff, and that Benkman clearly took cover, helped protect them from the explosion that sealed the portal. Is Andrew still with us, or do we put him to sleep? Kind of no, I, I'm here. I've just... Uh, <laughs> he's sitting back. You yeah, guys keep us moving, like man. Y'all went on a rant for like 15 minutes, and I didn't want to interrupt. Nah, you're good. You got to keep um, us moving. Lightning round, right? Yeah. Hold up. Did Todd have any other nitpicks? I didn't oh, want to yeah. cut him off. Any other, any other nitpicks, Todd? I had another whole category about the gatekeeper, keymaster, yeah, gozer. Uh, no, nah, I'm done. <laughs> Stay puff marshmallow man. I had questions and nitpicks about what they are, what they meant, what what they were. Uh, never mind. Uh, skip it. No fight left or so it seems. All right. Let's uh, roll for initiative and let's get some lightning sound effects. Lightning round. And some Arnold saying, let's do it or something. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. 13. 3. 6. 16. 17. Preston, Dave, me, and Todd. All right. Whoa. That was allowed. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. R- Roid Rage. <laughs> He's on the juice and he is loose. <laughs> ready, okay. Todd? Yeah. All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. And go. A few years ago, Dave Teague, Brandon, and I, we hosted a uh, barbecue for Christmas Eve where people could order barbecue shoulders and come pick them up at the church. Um, we were out there probably all night and during that time David Teague myself and Brandon quoted the entirety of this movie to each other <laughs> at least twice that, at least twice yes it, it's a wonderful awesome. memory it's something I'll always associate with this movie miss you big Dave and uh, see you on the other side yep yep miss him too we all do. All right. Okay. So who's next? I think that's Dave. me. Oh. Okay. Ready? I am ready. And go. I don't really have a whole lot else to add. This is a great movie. It's just fun. Sit back and enjoy it. Watch. It's just there for entertainment. Um, I will throw out one question and maybe we'll have time to discuss it at the end. And that is... Do you believe in ghosts? I want to hear everybody's answer. I still have time, apparently. 
No. Three seconds. No. 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 Done. <laughs> I mean, no. no. When you say ghosts, like, yeah, I, what, I what do you mean? That you 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 do not come back to to this world after exiting it because I've seen too many persnickety people die. <laughs> and lose and like their homes go to people who just do the the exact opposite of everything that they would do to their house, and the fact that none of them have ever come back and been like, "What have you, what have you done to my home? You've ruined my home." You mean Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that's never happened. There's there's never been one instance of that. Well, let's let's let's, let's table that because I, I do want to have a little bit of conversation on that. But uh, who's next? It's me and then Todd. Okay, ready? Ready as I'll ever be. And go. Ghostbusters. I don't believe in no ghosts. What an iconic song! So iconic. This movie is just iconic. Everything about it is iconic. Think of a think about how many jokes we never would have told because of this movie. <laughs> and think about how in an alternate dimension we would be talking about how many jokes we Time. could be talking about. Because it killed a clown. You smell something. <laughs> 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 Todd. You're the man. Okay. Yep. Um, last. All right. Ready and go. I still have five more nitpicks. I'm going to keep those to myself. So I'm going to try to improvise some uh, positive stuff. Uh, there were good special effects for the time. Uh, uh, good scenes of New York. Uh, uh, good costumes, sets, props, stuff like that. Uh, I think somebody mentioned the music. Yes, it does have an iconic uh, 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 soundtrack. Uh, again, good special effects. Uh I mean, again, all my positive stuff is really general stuff. Uh, oh, and also, I did watch the other two movies in the trilogy. So, if <laughs> if you want to know my my grades wait, for the other wait, two, wait, 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 wait. There's what? a third movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the video game is the movie. No, there's Afterlife. Uh, yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, oh, Afterlife, oh, oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay. Okay. So, yeah, uh, if you want to talk about the other two movies, I mean, obviously not full reviews, but I could compare them and tell you my. What, what about the one with the women? Let's yeah. not go there. Let's no. Not. <laughs> You're going to summon Mr. Plinkett. So, if, if Ghostbusters is about, uh, you know, starting up a business, <laughs> then the reason the one with all the women did so bad. Oh, no. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we need to get into our ratings. <laughs> All right, ratings. Ratings. So let's keep the same order. Um, Preston, you go first. I use wrestling a lot in, in my uh, life. And for this, this is definitely the uh, Terry Funk versus Ric Flair strap match, the Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask, Mitsuharu Masawa versus Toshiaki Kawada. This is five stars. Woo! Oh, nice. I think that's your first five-star rating for our podcast. 
This is second. 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 Okay. Yeah. Young Frankenstein in this. It's fairly rare, though. That's very good. I like it. Oh, I think I'm up three next. Three red gummy bears out of five blue gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am up next, and I do a 10-point scale. But yeah, this is a solid nine all the way across the board. You know, it is just a, a great movie. It's worth watching anytime that it comes on. It's not perfect. It's a little dated, but I mean, my daughter enjoyed watching it with me. Um, so it's it's just fun. So go out there and watch it. It gets a nine out of ten. Your daughter is a rug rat. Okay. Both of them. <laughs> little, little rug rats. I like this movie a lot. I grew up with this movie, which saying a lot because this movie's really old. Like, really old. That's code for Todd and Dave are really old. Because this movie is awesome, and I grew up with it, and it's so iconic. And I probably reference this movie at least once a week. I think it gets a 92. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. Very good. Not Princess Bride or Back to the Future 1 or 2 good, but it's in that same kind of category. And I think Afterlife was really good, too. But I've only seen it once. Todd. It's your turn. Okay, yeah, my prediction was right. I end up being the grump this episode. I am shocked. Shocked. Well, not that shocked. Despite all the nitpicks I had, the ones I didn't even bother getting to, uh, I still do like this movie. It is still good. My nitpicks are nothing but nitpicks, so I give this movie a B-. minus. So it's still on the good side. It ranks 51st out of 89 movies that we've reviewed or will review soon. And I mentioned that I watched the other two movies to try to gauge how they all compare. And we're running long, so I won't go into uh, all the bullet points for the good and bad. I'll just say that the third movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'll also give a B-. And I know it's going to be blasphemy, but maybe a slightly higher B-. And so technically, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife a little bit better. And here's the part that's going to be really controversial. Ghostbusters 2, I actually give a full B, which means, yes, Ghostbusters 2 is at the top, Ghostbusters 1 is at the bottom, and Ghostbusters Afterlife is right in the middle. Wow. That's kind of crazy. That's something weird. <laughs> I do want to ask, what is it about the second one that, that appeals to you more than the other do? Uh, more cohesive story, better pacing, better wit and humor, and the characters are more likable in that one. Mm. Uh, the only things I had bad against it is that some of the wit and humor still doesn't land. Uh, still not a lot of actual ghosts or, or what I would think of as ghosts. And some of the music isn't as good in the second movie. Well, okay. yeah, I mean, the music's made by Bobby Brown. Let's, uh, let's, let's cut him some slack there. You think at the time we, we didn't know. Yeah, some of the, the key songs in the movie are good. It's the the filler music that's in between. There are certain moments of background music that just were didn't seem up to par to the rest of the movie or the first one. So I know we are running long. That's confirmed. But we live in a world where we now have like TV shows that show you know, on video, these ghost hunters and they see supernatural things happen and sometimes they disprove them and sometimes they don't. So I guess it's almost like a two part question. And I think one will lead to the answer of the other. And the first one is 
have you three guys, any of you ever had an experience that you would kind of rate along the lines of the supernatural? And the second is, do you believe in those supernatural things? And why or why not? Just a quick question. Let's go around the board. Preston, start us off. My family is mired in ghost stories. Okay. I, I have so many family ghost stories that I could tell you right now. Like It really should be its own podcast. Oh, that sounds fun. But I'll leave you with just this one. My mom has a very old clock that sits on top of the mantel in the den right now. She's had it forever. And every time a member of the family dies, the clock strikes 13 at midnight. Hmm. Hmm. So instead of thinking 12, it actually strikes an extra time. Yes. Okay. So then... Yes, no on the, the supernatural? The, the the thing of it is, for, for me, I, I I don't know that I, I buy into everything about ghosts. Like, like I, I don't know that there, there are entities that haven't yet crossed over I, the, the, as, as romantic as it may sound I just don't know that that's how the process works but I, I can't say that there aren't ways for the other side to speak to us I just don't think that it's actual Uncle Bob comes back and, 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 and will talk to you or anything like that it's, just, it's light things that you would never notice Unless you really paid attention. So is that kind of a semi yes? <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 as clo- it's as close to a yes without leaving the no territory. I got you. Okay, Andrew, how about you? I don't know. Sometimes I think what we see is like ghosts or something supernatural. It's just our nerves getting to us. Okay. Have you like ever had an experience or, or anything that you would question? One time I was uh, I was uh, walking the dog and he like just kind of, it was like the middle of the night and I was walking him and he just like turned around and he started looking towards the woods and then he like whined and like ran to the door uh-huh. and I was like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I didn't stick around to find out what it was, but I don't know. It was probably just him freaking out, but that's that's the only thing I could think of. So where you land on the yes, no, ghost, supernatural, things from the beyond kind of category? Probably lean towards no. Okay. But it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, everybody's got their, there's never going to be a definitive yes or no. Okay. Because if this, if it is a yes, then it's more likely that they're going to mess with your heads than something more physical. Okay. So it's going to be a more individual thing. Anyways, that's how I see it, at least. Todd, how about you? I, I've never had any experience myself, and I think my opinion is probably similar to Preston's in that because of my 
religious and philosophical beliefs, I do believe in an afterlife. And I don't know how that afterlife works, but I feel like once it happens, it happens. And so I have a hard time believing in a caught in between type scenario. At the same time, because I don't know how it works, I can't discount the possibility. And so even though I lean toward not believing in ghosts and not having any experiences myself, the sheer possibility exists among the things that could frighten me. So like if I were to go in a house that was haunted, I would really prefer not to. And if I were, the sheer possibility that it could be would be enough to make me want to leave. And it, and it's things like just darkness and spooky sounds in, in corners or shadows or, or, or whatever, that even if I don't believe it's ghostly in nature, it's still enough to freak me out. And so the possibility that something that could freak me out could be a ghost but why bother? I, I, you know, if some, if you want to like ghost hunt and stuff like that, more power to them. I, I would rather not tempt those things and things like Ouija boards. I doubt very seriously that they're real and have power yet. I know that there are tons of stories about people who do summon stuff. And again, if there's a possibility, why mess with it? Why, why tempt it? So I guess I, I I'm kind of like pressing. I come as close to not believing as possible while still keeping open the possibility for something okay interesting interesting all right so how about you i think i've had enough strange enough encounters and things that have happened to where i need to kind of preface this kind of like you guys do i believe like you said kind of bob uncle bob who died is gonna show up at your foot you know the foot of your bed and and say hi no but I do believe that there are things out there that that definitely interact with us in ways that we don't understand and have had strange enough experiences to, to, to believe that, that those things are possible. Now, what they are, why they exist, I have no idea. You know, there's something out there. What's in that the X-Files um, saying, you know, there's something out there. What it is, I don't know. Why it's there, how it came to be. So, yeah, we have to call the Ghostbusters. One thing that I didn't give in the trivia that I thought was absolutely amazing, I completely forgot about, was at one point they actually did have a, a Ghostbusters phone number that was, I think, ran in the TV ads. And you could call the phone number. And they've got like thousands of phone calls every day for like months while this f voicemail was open. And it actually, they used their their voices to answer, to do the voicemail. And, and there's been a lot of studies and, and things to say. There's some, some, some things that go bump in the night. Now, I'm just curious enough to maybe go and want to stay at a haunted house every once in a while, but haven't had that opportunity yet. But I also don't tempt fate with things like Ouija boards. I think that is kind of dumb. Um, I don't want to invite things into, you know, mess with my head. So remember if you ever hear something in the kitchen at night, it's just me trying to get my protein in. Probably right in the fridge. Yeah. All right. Todd, I feel really bad. I feel like I cut you off and you didn't get to give your final like nitpick. No, I, I wasn't in the mood anymore. I know. I think, I think that's what no, and, and we're running long anyway. So no, it, it just would have been me just bitching and moaning about little stuff, and, and it just never mind. But it, it may be important. Oh, 
No, 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 it's not, no, no, it's not important. Nobody really cares. But we were spared. This way is better. Boring conversation anyway. Oh, think- don't let us ruin you, man. Um, we have run long and it is getting late maybe that's why we're a little punchy Um, I don't think I did a did I tell people to email us for this episode they should email us people you should email us I want to know your ghost stories tell me have you had to call the ghostbusters Um, those bumps the, in the, the night. The first person that can correctly guess one of Todd's unused nitpicks, it's a free balloon and mug. Ooh. <laughs> there you if go. If it's a stay poked marshmallow man, how come they didn't just melt him? But, but not necessarily a discerning geese portal balloon and mug because we don't have this yet. No. <laughs> It'll just be a random no, mug out of the killer clowns from outer space mug that I have. That's what yeah. you get. That's that's your prize. Yeah, definitely. Email us. Email us what you think his last nitpicks were that he wouldn't share with us. And if he's right, we will let you know. We'll call you out on the show and we'll send you a prize. Um, but you're going to have to send that email to discerninggeeks at gmail.com. You can also interact with us on Twitter at discerninggeeks and on Facebook to Discerning Geeks Portal Podcast. Yeah, tell us how we did. Tell us what you think of Ghostbusters. But we do have to, because we did not do this in a previous episode. We just recorded. We have to step through the portal again and find our next topic. Todd, do you have our chart of coordinate portals? Yep, I got it. Beep, boop, boop, beep. Who's rolling? All right, I got dice. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, you got it. 45. Okay. Uh, it's one it, of mine. Uh, no, it's one of mine. Oh. And it is actually in the DCEU. Oh, but Lord. don't worry. It's one of the good ones. If not the only good one, it's Wonder Woman. <laughs> we still have Shazam to do as well. Shazam. So we could do like. Ooh, is back. that in the pipeline? Yes, it's already been oh. rolled. Oh, yeah. oh, and, and I've already watched it, and uh, so, so yeah, I, I got my review ready for them. We need to do Shazam and Wonder Woman. We should do a back to back. Yes, 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 and compare and talk about why Shazam is better. Shazam! Wonder Woman, the Iron Man of the DC universe, without, overrated without any of the other good movies to go with it. <laughs> overrated and, and it's still baffling how the people that made wonder woman are the same people that made wonder woman 1984 just what a what an incredible it, it makes sense to me <laughs> in, in fact just naming it wonder woman 1984 is weird because what was so significant about that year as it related to to wonder woman it's like just call it wonder woman 2 see I, warner I, brothers I, really wanted to cash in on the 80s nostalgia grab yeah. It was the mid 2010s. It was all off of that, you know, off of Stranger Things and some of the other stuff that was going on. Yeah, yeah. Really Stranger Things is the the main culprit here, but that's a whole other show. Maybe we'll get there, maybe we won't. Yeah. Yeah, you had Stranger Things and Ready Player One, you know, was coming out. That was all 80s. Everything was 80s at that point and they were like, "Hey, let's let's make a movie in the 80s." Let's make it suck. 
and they succeeded. Almost but the as, first, but the first one was good. Almost as bad as Shazam. I mean, come on. I mean, at least they finally got it right with Black Adam. I mean. Andrew's got the roid rage, man. You really don't want to. You don't want to make him angry. He'll bust in there like Lou Ferrigno and the Hulk. (laughs) Green and massive. I would say we need to do like a rating of the the DCU like Phase One, but but then we would have to watch them. Oh God, no! (laughs) Well, obviously, because the the episode that we uh, recorded right before this was ranking the MCU Phase One, and I was tempted to bring up what about the DCEU movies, but I couldn't remember exactly what the first six were and what order they I mean I think I think I know and in fact I think Wonder Woman is one of them and we could kind of compare the first six Marvel to the first six DCU but uh, yeah I, I don't even know if it's worth the time I'm well there again there are differing viewpoints on Shazam Aquaman well there again Aquaman may not be one of the first six but I, I don't know I guess there could be differing opinions but yeah it's I don't know DCU is just a huge misstep all along the way it's a mess it's- Wrap it up. We're getting, we're going long. We went long like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Dear listeners, appreciate your listening. Guys, I really did enjoy the conversation. I feel bad that I derailed us for a little while. Feel free to edit some of that out. But guys, this just shows that we are all different in our discerning opinions. But we encourage each of you to do whatever makes you a discerning geek. And I enjoyed discussing this movie. It was good to have a, another really top movie to review. Seems like we went through a stint where we were struggling with some really rough movies that we had to review. (laughs) And at least we're hitting a stretch of some pretty good ones. I I, want to reiterate that Dave is the man that enjoyed paycheck. That don't make no sense. Paycheck rocks. It's just baffling to me. Any kind of opinions that might be controversial <laughs> in the MCU episode should be taken with the, the, the fact that Dave enjoys Paycheck. So there you go. Dune. I cannot wait for Dune 2. Oh, my goodness. It can't get here soon enough. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Listen, the sandworms, the, the we're not going to call this. Uh, what it was, stevia or turmeric or whatever, you know. For he is that. I can't even even say it. (laughs) I got choked up. Quit that. Got a rack. Sorry. Yes. For he is the Quizak. Remember when Dave called me a wormist? Yes. Yeah. This is usually when Todd goes off on about 10 things of, that he thinks sounds better than the Quezac hat. Well, I, I, I was looking at that, but I haven't updated him forever. So I think everything would be either a repeat or oh. maybe the backups, which aren't as good. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure if they would be repeats. If you want me to do it, I can, I can do the repeats. I, I, give <laughs> us one or two, give us one or two to take us out. He For, is the copycats amnesiac. He is the autocrats luggage rack. He is the Cowpats radio shack. <laughs> He is the Cryostats Lumberjack. He is the Rosenblatt Cyber Attack. He is the Ziggurat's Burt Bacharach. <laughs> I love Burt Bacharach. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, love to use car salesman talk. Like, 
I love that. Like we, we need to find more movies where we can bring out used car salesman Todd. <laughs> like it, it is almost truck Vember. So like, yeah, we, we, that needs to be a thing. <laughs> How do I sound like a used car salesman? <laughs> I mean, you, you just make all the all the classic rhyming, you know, taglines. You, you kind of sound well. You sound like a used car salesman and Don King at the same time. <laughs> okay, uh, I believe Dave, you should call it your Don King impression. It has been a pleasure. I have enjoyed it, and we will catch you on the flip side of the portal. He is the four mats pericardiac. He is the hard hats railroad track. He is the brick bats bicycle rack. <laughs> he he is the dingbats power pack he is the wildcats railroad track he is the asshat cyber attack oh man we, we, we have to figure out a way to use this more often <laughs> sorry I realize I did have some more backups that I think I, maybe I haven't used before yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to start breaking out my uh, my um, fake ads for the show now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do the Occam's razor bit oh I I'm not sure what you're talking about I, I have a whole litany of fake products that I, I, I promote for my friends' YouTube shows. One of them is the Occam's Razor. Do, are you a drunk that can't quite get a close enough shave? The Occam's Razor is the solution. Don't bleed in your cornflakes when you get the DT shakes with the Occam's Razor. <laughs> okay, that, that, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe we could do that. Have, have yeah. some sponsors. Yeah, bring yeah. out the sponsors. By the letter. Oh no 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 no, 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 no yet, not 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 yet not yet. I'm, I'm even busier at work now than I than I was there for a while. Yeah, I, I yeah, can't. I can't Todd, help Todd's in a real stressful situation. And these episodes are getting pretty long. Yeah, please don't. Yeah, let's. Yeah, and this one's going to be tough enough to edit already. <laughs> this one's going to be there. By the letter X. Oh. Okay. Thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. May the force be with you. Always. Always.